Hi, thank you for joining Grief and Frozen Lasagnas every first and third Thursdays. I'm your host, Veronica Day. This podcast is devoted to talking openly about grief and how to help someone who is grieving. You will hear personal stories ranging from the sad, the angry, the are you freaking kidding me, to pee your pants funny. We're not licensed professionals nor grief experts. We're just real people who've experienced grief I want to share what helped and what didn't. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to my very first podcast. I'm excited to have you join us on this journey. We will strive to be real, honest, and in the moment. After my husband died, I was often asked, what's the best way to help someone who is grieving? Well, the thing is, there's not just one way to help, just like there's not one way to grieve. I thought it might help to hear from lots of different perspectives regarding grief. This might bring some clarity or new insight. Originally, I was trying to write a book on helping someone who's coping with grief. And as my rewrites of the rewrites went on, I realized I just wanted to talk to people. That's when I thought, maybe if I can do a podcast, it'll be more conversational with different guests. And you can hear other stories, other voices. Since our guests will be sharing their grief stories, I figured the right thing to do would be for me to go first. I divide it into two short parts. I don't want this to be all about me, but I thought it might be a good idea to share my experience so y'all will know where I'm coming from. I wanted to let myself get vulnerable. Warning, I might cry. Today's episode is more raw than funny, but stick with us because I promise you, even though grief hurts, It can also be hilarious sometimes. Like many of you, I've experienced the loss of grandparents, friends, pets, co-workers, to name a few. And I guess we can all add the loss of time during this pandemic. I've also experienced different types of grief, like losing my job, my house in a fire, a divorce. (laughs) Man, like the joke goes, it's starting to sound like a bad country song. But it was losing my husband that really made me face my grief. I'll admit that writing the notes for this episode was super hard. I kept crying as I went back and looked through the emails and texts from that day. But I wanted to make sure I was remembering things correctly, or as best I could. It was Thursday, May 3rd, 2018. My husband, Travis, had an early morning appointment at the hospital for a liver resection. He had a dual transplant back in 2013 for his liver and his kidney. He had malformed kidneys as a kid, and his first transplant came from his mom. She is this truly remarkable, amazing person. And we'll probably devote an entire episode to her later in the season. We were so thankful to get him those transplants People often said things like, huh, he doesn't look sick. He is so strong. We had no idea he was ill. But you see, Travis was never one to complain. He was also super private. He just did the next step, medically speaking. He got tired sometimes, and he had lots of doctor's appointments on his calendar. But overall, he stayed pretty positive. 
Unfortunately, the tumors kept coming back, even in the new liver. We'd been with the same doctors and trusted them for many years, so nothing about this particular morning was out of the ordinary for us. He and I arrived at the hospital early. I got to hang out with him prior to the surgery. He and I just tried to relax, make each other laugh. He had this dry, snarky sense of humor that I absolutely loved. The nurses finally came in to roll him back to the OR. Looking back, I'm pretty sure... Well, I know I kissed him on the forehead, and I'm pretty sure I said goodbye. Which is weird, because normally I would say something like, See you later, alligator. Or, hey, you free for lunch? Or just something silly, right? So the first part of the procedure went fine. The second part was where they were actually going to cut out the disease section of his liver. His parents and I moved to the general waiting room area. We were sitting there, chatting, texting friends with updates, and I was trying to crochet. It was a new thing for me. There were lots of people there that day, and there were game shows on TV. After a little while, his surgeon came out and told us that Travis had done very well, and they were sewing him back up, and we should be able to see him in about 20 minutes. We continued to sit there just chatting. I was crocheting like some scarves or something when we heard Code Blue OR. Code Blue OR. I remember thinking, ooh, that does not sound good. Little did I know that was in reference to Travis. We sat there for about another hour and a half. I finally got up and found a nurse and asked her to please check on his status. I knew that since it was busy that day, we may have to wait a little bit for our room. She got on the phone, started talking, then she turned her back to me and started whispering. I saw her nod her head, she hung up, and she turned back towards me. She told me that she was instructed to take me to the family room. I was confused, I didn't understand, and she didn't elaborate. I explained to her that our family had gone through a lot of hospital stuff with Travis and we could handle a lot of different types of bad news. I guess I should also tell you that his younger sister died when she was 21 from glioblastoma. Travis and his parents had a lot of experience with doctors, hospitals, especially since he had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma as a child. I told the nurse that she should just tell me whatever was wrong rather than making this big, dramatic scene. I told her that if she walked out there and told his parents she was taking us to the family room, it was probably going to cause some unnecessary frustration and fear. I was trying to be patient. I didn't want to be that person. I didn't want to be a huge pain in the ass. She, she told me she didn't have any information, and she was just told to take us to the family room. So the waiting room is this very big room with two separate rooms on either side of it. Everyone watched us as she escorted us to the smaller room. Maybe they knew. I guess I was in denial, and I thought, well, maybe he's had a heart attack, or maybe he's in ICU. Maybe surgery is just taking longer, or they found something else. We sat there for a few minutes, and then she returned and said she was told to take us to the larger family room. So they walk us back across the general waiting room area. This time it's quiet except for the TV, and everyone watched us walk. Okay, so now we're in the larger family room, and she leaves us there alone. 
There's no one to tell us anything. I know that when people heard this part of the story, they got upset for us. But I'm sure that nurse was just following protocol. No use in us getting mad. It wasn't going to help. We sat there for about 20 minutes. And then finally, this very young hospital chaplain walked in. I thought, oh man, they sent Doogie Hauser. He asked if we were Travis's family. We said yes. The chaplain was told to come sit with us, but he didn't have any information other than that. Maybe he did. Maybe he didn't. I don't know. So this room, it had a couple of sofas, a coffee table, a phone, and some Kleenex boxes. It had one door that led out to the general waiting room, and another door that led back in towards the hospital. Our surgeon walked in from the hospital side, and you could tell he'd been crying. I'll never forget his words. He said, I'm sorry, we've lost him. I'm sorry, he's gone. Man, feels like yesterday, and also feels like a million years ago. I couldn't really comprehend what I was hearing. I just fell to the floor and yelled at him to get his fat ass back in there and fix it because Travis was going to be so pissed when he woke up. Our surgeon is a very lovely man, very patient, and not at all fat. Travis's dad, who is normally very calm, very reserved gentleman, was crying. His mom was crying. I didn't really know what to do, so I ran. I'm not sure where I thought I was going. I knew I needed air, and I wanted to be out of that room as fast as possible. So I started running. I'm not even sure how I ended up on another floor. Maybe I took the elevator? I, I don't know. I just sat down in the hallway. I was crying so hard. Now keep in mind, Travis and I have spent a lot of time at this hospital over the years, and I know my way around pretty well. I knew the hallway, yet I felt lost. Nurses were asking me what was wrong. I think they tried to give me oxygen. I don't remember that part. It's still a big blur. I know that somehow, during all of this, I managed to lose my shoe. Just one. Eventually, the chaplain caught up with me and walked me back down to the second floor. Oh, and he found my shoe. By then, they had taken us to the room where Travis's body was. I was allowed to see him. It was awful. So this next part may upset some of you, so feel free to skip ahead. When I got to the room, they slid the glass door open. He was still on the hospital gurney. Travis had always been a slender man. He exercised. He ate right. He wasn't super tall. He was about 5'8". He was very cold, very bloated, and very purplish blue. I wasn't sure why he looked like that. I tried to readjust the sheet that was covering his chest. That's when I saw that things weren't right. I wish someone would have stopped me from looking at his chest. It probably wouldn't have mattered. I was going to do it anyway. And everything happened so fast. I learned that he basically had cardiac arrest when he was coming up out of anesthesia. They tried for 90 minutes to revive him. They rushed in a heart surgeon. I later learned that a code blue had been issued. That's what I heard from the waiting room. I was so scared. I was confused. I felt like I was in a horrible nightmare. And I, 
I just wanted to wake up. I kept begging him to wake up, really begging, shaking his shoulders. I was crying uncontrollably. And I promised him that if he would just wake up, I would, I would always scratch his head when we watched TV. You see, we used to have this little ritual on Monday nights. We would eat dinner, then watch the TV show Castle. He would lay on the couch with his head in my lap, and I would gingerly scratch his head while we watched TV. It was our Monday night thing. He didn't wake up. This could not be happening. He was only 43. We were going to celebrate our 10-year anniversary that September. We just bought a bigger house. We hadn't even unpacked yet. And we've been trying for so long to have a baby. And my period was late. Shit. His parents and I stood close together in the hallway. Some of our friends were there by now. They helped us get downstairs to go home. I remember my amazing boss and two co-workers had shown up to drive me home. It was so weird. I remember being in his truck while my friend drove. I don't even know how Travis's parents got home. We finally got to my house and I walked inside and it just, it, it felt like I was falling. The days that followed were kind of a blur and fuzzy. I remember people showing up at our house that night. I just wanted them to leave. I wanted to be alone. I didn't want to have to talk to anyone or answer any questions because I didn't know what the hell was going on. I made my sister go out there and get rid of everyone. I know people were there to support and comfort me. And it's amazing how many people showed up when something bad happened because they love you and they want to help. But I want to mention that it's also important to show up for them in the days, the weeks, the months, the years that follow. Because, because sometimes that's when you're really all alone with your grief. And it feels like everyone else has gone back to normal. I had to plan a funeral. I had to call our friends. I had so much to do. I also just wanted to cry on the floor. Actually, I did cry on the floor many times. Looking back, I don't even know how I initially told some of our friends. I asked my friend Rhiannon how she remembers hearing the news. And so we had been texting back and forth during the day, like in our text chain, how progress was going, how things were going. And I remember looking down on my phone and George telling you to go get something to eat and uh, go to the bathroom or some, you know, something very yeah. inane. And then it didn't seem like very long later you were calling me and I'm like, well, she's been texting all day with updates. Why is she calling? And I thought about not answering because I was in the middle of something, but I was like, she, she's calling for a reason. And so I pick up the phone and you told me, and you were um, not my normal bubbly animated friend. You were very <laughs> uh, monotone and kind of a flat tone and um, clipped really like, this is what happened. I need you here now. And I said, okay. And you said, and I need you to tell you take care of Tulsa people. I can't tell people. And it's okay. And so I'm sorry for putting that on you. That's, uh, you know what it is. It is a magical gift to be given an occupation that is of service in that moment when you don't know what to do. So actually, thank you for giving me something purposeful to do that was helpful instead of flailing around. 
My sister and her family and my parents arrived pretty quick after I got home. My sister stayed with me the first night. I eventually fell asleep. Our mattress was on the floor because the new bedroom furniture we just bought the week before hadn't arrived yet. I was exhausted and scared. I woke up in the middle of the night, alone. I was all scrunched up on one side of the bed. I woke up crying. Little did I know that was going to be my pattern for weeks to come. So that's how my up-close and personal relationship with grief began. Thank you for letting me share my story. Join us next time as I chat briefly about the days that followed, from planning the funeral, remembering to eat, and doing my laundry. Grief and Frozen Lasagnas is written, performed, and produced by Veronica Day. That's me. Music and sound design by Patrick Gary and the musical talents of the Sideshow Symphony. To hear this and other music by the Sideshow Symphony, go to www.sideshowsymphony.com or find the Sideshow Symphony on Apple Music or the streaming service of your choice. If you liked what you heard, or if you know anyone who might like this, please help us spread the news by sharing it. Or if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, please rate and review to let other people know about us. It really helps. If you would like to be part of the show, see photos, or if you'd like to listen to our other episodes, please visit us at griefandfrozenlasagnas.com. Thank you for listening today and hopefully in the future. Take care of yourself and be kind.